This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your Need To Know Financial Podcast. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now, thank you for joining us today. We are bringing you another one of our special guest interviews. This time, we're actually joined by Anthony Wilson from Shore & Partners. Now, he joined the firm actually after us. So back in July 2021, previously, Anthony was an equity partner at Wilson's Advisory, working on the institutional sales desk, focusing on small cap equity sales, both domestically and internationally. He also also had roles at Linwa Securities and Emerging Growth Capital. Anthony brings experience to the team in research sales, sales trading and hedge fund sales roles. So welcome, Anthony, to Talk Money to Me. It's nice to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, ladies. Good to be here. We're excited to be chatting with you. And I've really been looking forward to this chat with you, Anthony, because the retail world is very different to the insto world. So pumped to get into our conversation. But just before we do that, just quickly, guys, here comes our disclaimer. I'll be quick, I promise. As always, our chat today on Talk Money To Me is not considered personal advice. Even though we are registered financial advisors at Shore & Partners, please note that this podcast and the context discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. So, Anthony, let's kick off the scene for our listeners. Can you give us an update on the state of play in the market at the moment? You know, what are you kind of keeping a close eye out on? Um, yeah, okay. So, I mean, if I was going to describe it in a word, I'd, I'd say it was pretty shaky at the moment. Uh, we're seeing the first of the interest rate moves higher, um, which shouldn't come as a surprise to most, but it's coming at the same time as you've got the war in Ukraine and supply chain issues have caused inflation spikes around the world. So, that's causing some pretty big problems for listed companies, which is leading to some company downgrades, um, certainly domestically in Australia. So, on the back of that, there appears to be a bit of a deleveraging event going on. Worst case, maybe people who may have drawn down debt in the house uh, use a margin, margin lend to invest that money into the market at a large margin, thinking they can borrow it, say, 3% and then getting paid a 5% div yield or something on um, using a margin loan. That works very well in the bull market. You look like a hero and you're making money out of uh, nothing. However, this type of market, if you get some some down days, all of a sudden you get a, a margin call and they're four sellers because they can't come up with the, the money required for the margin. So, look, that just creates panic selling. And we've sort of seen that recently. Um, in my history, uh, looking through sort of GFC and, and uh, when COVID was hitting in, in, in the markets in early 2020, that type of margin call selling usually happens somewhere between sort of 10 and 11, where you see those big drastic falls. Now, that's something we've certainly been seeing um, recently. Uh, it seems to have eased off currently on the date we're recording this. But um, going forward on the back of all this, you know, interest rates heading higher, we're going to see valuation compression. That's not exactly the type of thematic that leads to a bull market. So, 
I'd suggest, um, you know, keeping an eye on inflation. It seems like the market's got a handle on inflation expectations now, and that's sort of shown by the 10-year bond yield in the US and stabilising and actually pulling back. But perhaps the turmoil isn't over yet. That's some really interesting points. So we're actually recording on the 17th of the 5th, 2022, for everyone listening. Um, so essentially, if our listeners do want to look at buying, uh, there's a bit of selling between 10 and 11. So it could be could get a good bit of a bargain around 10 to 11. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners, could you explain to us what your role as head of institutional sales involves. Can you walk us through a typical day? Because I believe a lot of young people listening you know, want to be in institutional sales. I mean, everyone says it, they would love to be in insto sales. Yeah, okay. I'd probably just do it more on a, a typical um, sales, insto sales desk role rather than the, in a management role, which is probably a bit too boring for most. Um, <laughs> but uh, generally, it, depending on the firm, um, the morning meetings that you go to are essential but they just differ in time for us we're, we're just slightly before before 8am and at that meeting you talk about the overnight wrap-up and what's happened and and really what that means for our research stocks and anything that we should be doing in the back of that so really information coming out of comparable industries um, and sectors or stocks in which those drivers can be related to ASX listed stocks because here at Shores we predominantly look at ASX listed stocks but that doesn't stop you looking throughout the world for you know for other things that may have an influence uh, on the certain drivers of the stocks we're looking at. At that meeting you also talk to and share sort of any other trading ideas. You can talk about stocks that we don't necessarily cover but um, you know guys on the desk or in research may have have an, have an interest in from a past life and and historic sort of uh, um, idea about that and, and people you still talk to on it um, you talk to flows um, so what stocks you're active trading in the previous day um, where we're left and sort of what sort of blocks or larger size interests we have um, and then certainly talking about our public's research and key bullet points for those because really is sales. That's that's what you want to be doing and sitting there talking about our views and, and essentially selling our research that's produced. So essentially, you need to be a, an early riser because if you need to be in the office before 8am in an insto sales role. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say 8am. So there's some of the bulge bracket guys, they're in at like 6am, but um, you know, each their own. You know, everyone on the desk has a different role. Um, for us, we've got Harsh, he sits there and, and he he does the overnight wrap and he goes through it in full, which is very helpful for everyone else. So he's willing to do that for us and, and that helps us then relate that to other stocks. Um, so outside the, the morning meeting, you sort of, you go back to your desk and, and you start talking about the insights that you did cover in that morning meeting. The morning meeting puts the structure on your day. So you, you do your calls on that. Um, if you're in research sales, you're calling institutions with the thoughts as discussed. Um, you're reviewing news, news flow throughout the day. There'll be new announcements out. So you're reacting to that new information. If you're a sales trader, um, you're managing the orders in the market. You're trying to find liquidity. You're checking on the orders that came through from yesterday and, and coming back on those to get back into the flow. And then throughout the day, you might be meeting with company management. Uh, you might be on non-deal roadshows where the company's meeting with us or we're hosting the company and taking them out to, to our institutional clients. You know, there is a, a, a side of organising that as well. So you'd be sitting there organising those roadshows for future events. Um, you've got internal meetings, account management, strategy. On top of that, you've got to sit there and actually read the research product and, and 
have an understanding. <laughs> and trade and look at the markets. I mean, the roadshow sounds fun, though. That sounds like a lot of fun. I think what would be good is to explain, you know, what is an institutional client? Uh, institutional client is... The, for for a retail investor, it's it's um, for most people who don't have a self managed super fund. You you probably put that money to a certain fund um, uh, each month or each week or whenever you get paid. Um, the you know the big one back in the day was Colonial. Um, I remember when I first came out of university, I ticked the box and my super money went to Colonial First State. Um, they back in the day were the biggest fund manager in Australia and um, within Colonial they'll have uh, um, all that money, whether it, it doesn't all have to be from super funds. Um, some of them are just managed funds and, and that'll be split between different mandates. Um, some will be large cap, some will be mid cap, some will be small cap. Uh, there'll be, you know, growth and value bents depending on the mandate. So the clients differ variably, uh, but essentially they're people managing other people's money to to a mandate that's that's pre-written. And you guys put the trades through, is that right? You're doing the buying and selling and executing? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you've got um, designated trading representatives who do uh, the executing of the trades in the market. Sales traders also do that function. So ultimately, research sales sell the products and give ideas and opinions on stocks and sectors. Um, sales traders are all about execution and finding liquidity. And then hedge fund sales is can be a little bit more short-term and, and catalyst trading and um, um, going long and going short. That's kind of the, the broad broad roles there, I, I guess you'd say. And when you say finding liquidity, if there's literally none on the screen, so walk us through your relationships. You've got to pick up the phone and say, hey, let, let's do a deal here. Is that how it works? Yeah, well, it all ties in together. So let's say we're doing a roadshow, which is essentially taking a company around to to see the institutional investors. Through that, you get an idea of who owns the stock and who's got an interest in it um, and their opinion on it. So... KED, uh, education stock, um, very illiquid. So let's say we've got a, a seller of that, say a million shares in that, which, I mean, look at the current spread. It could be, you know, worth 1.7 million bucks-ish, I think. Now, you can't trade that in the market, so you have to try and find the other side, which is finding liquidity. So, you know, through your knowledge of who owns the stock and who's got an interest in it and their opinion on it, you can reach out to them and, and, and try and find the other side. So a special trades in that smaller cap end of the market is anything over $200,000 worth. So, yeah. And then for the broker, it achieves doubling your brokerage. You know, if, if that's worth $2,000 brokerage on one side, double it to four and you're doing your job well. And that trade might take a week to do, right? I hope not, but yeah. <laughs> if you're bad at your job, but Anthony and his team are very good, so within the day. <laughs> pass, that's, yeah, maybe that takes two months, keep up, but uh, yeah, it, it may... It may um, just depends on the, the company, right? Yeah, it depends on the company and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, people are positive towards it or not. Sometimes you just can't find the other side and that's just the way it is. So people are stuck in what we call a lobster pot. A lobster pot. You get in, you just can't get out. <laughs> Another term in the markets. Um, we are going to unpack a couple of different jargon words, um, but I just want to ask one question before we go there uh, that um, just sort of, I guess, might be of interest to our audience is you're obviously talking to companies on a day-to-day basis. You sometimes go on a roadshow like you've explained. So when does the Chinese wall come into effect? And explain to us what that means in a layman terms to, to those of it that might not know that term. 
China's wall is a pretend wall where the people on one side um, are in knowledge of, of insider information or information that you would expect to move a, a market if the public market was in, in knowledge of it. So in our business, you've got um, sales and you've got research. They're generally on on the uh, the public side of the Chinese wall. And then you've got your corporate team um, and they're on the other side of the Chinese wall. They're usually in knowledge of some insider information. So that could be, you know, an early look at the numbers um, of an upcoming result. You might find some IR firms are in the, the same position because they'll be given you know, the first half result numbers and they have to build out a presentation that the company will talk to and to release the market. Often corporate guys are brought over the wall and, and helped in that same IR function or these guys may be looking at acquisitions. So they may be advising on the acquisition or merger and, and then beyond that, they'll be advising on, you know, how they're going to finance that and, and who they're going to. So, you know, there's a couple of stocks I'm over the wall at at the moment, and that means on a sales desk function, I, I just can't talk about them to anyone who is uh, who, who isn't over the wall. Yeah, that makes sense. And thanks for explaining that. And going back a step, you you kind of touched on a few different roles in your team. So, and then now knowing what um, the Chinese wall means for our listeners, have we missed anyone else in your team? You've got uh, sales research. Anyone else? Yeah, so well, I mean, there's the corporate department, which is is uh, is really important in in what we do. Essentially, they connect the the listed equities to to finance their their growth and development. Essentially, helping connecting um, companies with equity when and if needed. They might be the guys working on IPO, which means they're writing prospectuses, communicating both with the institutions, companies to make sure you know the the deal is correctly f- priced and structured. That may involve finding cornerstone um, investors um, for the primary issuance. Yeah, so uh, that's that's a fairly lucrative and highly highly competitive market. Yeah, the sexy side of finance, really, because mm. I know everyone wants to get into corporate finance, but then a lot of people don't actually know what they do. Yeah, careful what you wish for. Uh, <laughs> They're long hours, right? Yeah, if you don't like working long hours, um, those guys are often in weekends and, and still sitting at their desks at, at one or two a.m. in the morning, and they don't generally show up at 8am for a morning meeting, but they get some leeway in the mornings. But yeah, they're hard workers. So I guess, you know, long hours, pretty intense. You need to definitely be in a team environment, which you've definitely gone through all of the different roles, which is great. Um, so I guess you've got to become a big family, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it takes certainly on a desk, I always say it takes licorice all sorts. You can't all be the same person because you've got a broke to different clients and um, if everyone's too similar, you just don't get along in, in my view. That's it. I'm loving all of these analogies. This is so great. Um, so I guess it's kind of like Candice and I, we're a bit like yin and yang. Uh, Candice is more risk adverse and I am happy to take on a little bit more risk. She likes the larger end of town and I like the smaller end of town. Yeah, I I listened to one of your other podcasts where you said that. So why don't you guys tell us about yourselves? You, you, I, I don't know much about private wealth management um, apart from trying to manage my own wealth badly. <laughs> you guys work pretty closely together as business partners. How do you meet, and you know, what, what, how do you? Well, how do you work together well and what do you do? Well, we met um, back at our previous firm and I was there for about 
nearly two years before Felicity joined from BT Westpac. And I was sort of at this pivot road um, kind of moment in my career. I was like, you know, do I stay? Do I go? What do I do? And we actually met at an advisor conference um, and I sort of looked around and, you know, typically in the industry, as you know, Anthony, saw a lot of male heads and a lot of, you know, females. Um, but then we sort of started chatting and then uh, on the back of that, we ended up just trying it out, sitting next to each other on the desk because what you've explained is quite right. It's an intense environment. It's long hours. Um, you really need to, you know, know, trust and really like the person you work with. Uh, and that being on the desk is, is a great way to fi- figure that out because you've got the phones and the markets and everything going on. And then we sort of just like joined forces. We didn't really kind of plan it. We went into a, a prospect uh, meeting to, to pitch and we ended up naturally falling into the conversation really well with the client. We ended up winning the client and then we sort of looked at each other and went, well, let's let's see if we can like join forces sort of thing. And um, we've kind of morphed into this holistic wealth advisory offering for our clients. I think to add to that point is, you know, Candace started out as, I guess, a traditional stockbroker when I first met her. And I was a traditional financial planner coming from the Westpac banking world. But over the couple, over the last, you know, I think it's been five years now, we've really morphed into holistic wealth advisory. So we both do everything now, which is fantastic, right? So we've basically just been able to duplicate ourselves, uh, which allows us to go to separate meetings now and see more clients and help more clients. So, you know, no longer is Candace a traditional stockbroker, no longer am I a traditional financial planner where I put clients into, you know, models of managed funds. So we've really, um, I guess, developed over the last five years together. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good. It's always, um, yeah, I mean, it's good that you sort of seem to have taught each other. It's really important, in my view, just to get along with the people you work with. Um, In my career, I've gone full circle. So the the three people on the desk that I work with now um, closely, uh, I used to work with in a previous life. Um, One of them actually hired me in my first um, equities broking role. So um, You're kidding. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> yeah, Mike Stanford. So um, oh, yeah, awesome. I went from precious metals broking into into equities and, uh, yeah, for some reason he chose me and here we are today. And now you're the head of our whole department. How cool is that? Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> nice. A bit so of humble. Work. We love it. That's it. Well, turning our attention to the markets again, now – you mentioned it earlier, but we've seen a spike in market volatility lately. I feel like it's been volatile the last three years now. But let's have a crystal ball question for you. This is what everyone, you know, tunes in for. Do you think we're near the bottom now or do you see more downside to come? I think more downside to come. Since COVID hit, we've we've sort of had this blissful environment for risky equities, government stimulus all over the globe, and it's helped a surge in equity markets. To me, that's now done and over. Um, you know, it's it, this has led to sort of a combination of macro factors, high inflationary environment. It's, you know, led central banks to act, and they've um, only really one true lever to act to an inflationary environment. That's outside of verbally talking about doing it and, th- and that's increasing rates. So in expectation of central rates, um, central banks increasing rates, we've seen sort of bond yield surge and, and this has caused that recent carnage in equity markets across the world. So um, I guess in, in the short term, is the question is, is that 
capitulation and is that where we're going to sit and now we can rebound? I, I think the answer is probably not. Um, you know, US inflation appears to have sort of peaked in March and fallen slightly in April, but it hasn't really rolled over yet. So what in turn, the interest rates are still to go higher, surely, and in that environment, you know, we're going to see some valuation compression and that's just the way it works. So whether we sit in a bear market for for one or two years, it's it's usually something along that time frame. So yeah, it's not a it's not a great picture in my view for the for the next one or two years. So, would you say that uh, I guess someone looking to get into the markets, whether it's retail or insto, is it a buying opportunity? But is it more so just like like you've kind of outlined, be patient and keep getting into it, right? Like keep topping up, like dollar cost average, and find the right value companies. Yeah, yeah. So. It's so hard to predict what's going to happen on the macro level and um, clearly like that's not my job and it's just because it's too hard. So I always sort of look at a stock-specific level. I guess I'd I'd imply sort of a macro overview on that. Clearly high-growth, loss-making companies, they're just not going to be where they were recently. Um, We're not going to be sitting here talking EV to sales multiples. We want in this type of environment, um, inflation hedge stocks or quality high growth stocks, which which are actually probably making money. Can you give us a couple of examples of those ones that you're liking and in those characteristics? Yeah, give us some good stock tips. Uh, stock tips. <laughs> I can give you some. I can give you some buys and sells. Um, yeah, let's do it. In that sort of scenario, you'll see a, a valuation bent come back into the. Um, 4A as well. So on that basis, SRG, I'd have as a buy. It's a 250 mil market cap services business, um, asset services, mining services, uh, and construction. So the asset services segment supplies um, integrated services to customers across sort of their entire asset life cycle. The mining services segment, it provides services to mining clients, um, ground solutions, production drilling, ground and slope stabilisation, design engineering and sort of monitoring uh, of that as well. And then construction segment supplies integrated products and services uh, to customers involved sort of um, in the construction of complex infrastructure. So so completely vertically integrated business. Well, it's, it, it's yeah, through the whole cycle, right, of, of, a, of an asset life cycle. So it's not a new company, but what's happened is it's shifted its revenues to be now two-thirds asset services. So asset services are highly recurring in nature. So for me, this stock deserves to trade on a higher multiple. It trades on, call it four times EV to EBITDA. And I, even on those numbers, I think it's probably come upgrade. So I think looking at its comparables, this thing should probably trade on six times EV to EBITDA because of that recur- recurring nature. So, you know, if you if you look on the current numbers, that should be trading over 80 cents. Um, there's a chance it probably could make some further acquisitions as well. That's a great buy. What about another buy for us, Anthony? MMI, which is a 50 mil market cap, which is probably in your sort of risk range, Felicity, considering what you said previously. So Metro Mining, it operates Bauxite Hill operation far north um, Queensland, exports Bauxite to customers in China. Um, Bauxite, for those who aren't familiar, it's used to make aluminium. So the stock um, in previous years has gone through um, a lot of troubles, which they now are sort of seem to be through. And recently they'd 
announced that they have basically underwritten their calendar year 22 numbers by securing um, remaining offtake for the upcoming export season. So these guys can only export outside of the wet season, and that's generally April to November. So they've locked away 3.8 million tonnes out of the 4 million uh, target, and the remaining will be sold on the spot market. So essentially over the last 12 months, management have right-shipped um, from essentially what was a you know a near death experience. So what's changed in it? They've got a floating crane installed, which they installed in calendar year, which is lowering freight costs and allowing allowing them to um, um, much cheaper Cape vessels rather than these super maxis. They're selling some of their product uh, free on board or FOB. That puts the freight risk back on customers. Um, and they've signed a two-year fixed freight um, deal for two million tonnes of this year's production. So with all that said, it could go from delivering 10 million cash losses in cash losses a quarter to generating something like uh, $25 million free cash flow this year. So remembering it's only a 50 mil market cap company, right? So Watch that space. All right, they're two really good stock tip guys. So add it to your, uh, your watch list, SRG and MMI. So We're going to just take a quick short break to hear from our sponsors, Uh, but when we're back, we're going to unpack with you more of the financial jargon that we have in our industry and also hear some of your sales. So stay tuned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And we're back. So any any more buys to float out there before I ask you the sells? Oh, yeah. I had um, one more in Orteco Minerals. It's um, still pretty small. It's about 110 mil market cap. So it's gold exploration, um, focuses on what they call a pickle crow project. It's in Ontario and Canada. So What's that? Uh, it's just one of the names of the areas. You know, it was, it was previously mined. Um, it was a very high-grade underground operation. Um, so these guys have, have got it uh, now. I think originally it was mined in the early 1930s and it operated until sort of mid-60s. And the code is AUT, is that correct? AUT, yeah, that's the code. So, you know, at the time I think it had produced like one and a half million tonnes of gold at uh, like 16 grams a tonne. Like that's that's very high. So essentially these guys have got a, a hold of it and they're starting to, to build on um, what's left for the asset and um, and drill regionally. So it had had a pretty good drill result recently. And in, in the latest ri- round, it um, it drilled intercepts of two point one um, meters at ninety two grams a ton from its uh, Cohen MacArthur zone, and and three and a half meters at seven point six grams a ton um, from the swamp zone. So they're really 
highly encouraging. So they're putting holes in regional targets and having success. So in our view, uh, we think that's probably going to be a you know north of five million ounce resource. And even at the moment, it's got uh, you know it's it's got two point two three million ounce resource. So um, as they continue to drill out those regional holes. Um, it should it should re rate higher. Okay, that sounds interesting. Definitely going to follow that one. And any cells you want to put out there? Yep. Um, just with what's going on in our Aussie market, I'd I'd, I'd have a sell on Collins Foods. Um, much larger market cap. You you're looking at sort of one point one uh, billion dollars. Um, Collins Foods it operates. Uh, call it three hundred odd, a bit over KFC restaurants as a franchisee throughout Australia. It also operates Taco Bell franchisees across uh, Victoria and WA. Uh, it's got KFC in Netherlands and, and Germany as well. So I, I just think the Collins Foods, as a short, I think they're, they're going to see some headwinds going forward, both on the top line in terms of demand and also via cost pressures. So you're seeing grain prices rally really hard. Uh, the latest bit of news there was India um, has stopped wheat exports. Um, so I think overnight you saw wheat up. Uh, five or six percent. So, um, seeing grain prices going up—that's an in- input cost clearly for raising chickens. And and ING Inghams—they updated the market the other day, talking about how they're starting to pass these costs, these input costs on. Now, Collins Foods is is a customer of Inghams. That's where they get some of their chickens. So, that's clearly going to be passed on. You've also got staff costs especially if the Labor government get in. You know, Collins, they, they employ generally people who are on minimum wage, um, if, if not close to. Um, so those staff, staff costs will, will start to come through as well. So then on top of that, you've got interest rates going up. So their customer base, I think, will just have less money to spend on fast food with interest rates going up. They're probably going to start to spend less on fast food and put it more towards the mortgage repayments. So in that scenario... I just can't be bullish about that stock and I think they're yet to come out and talk to the market about most of this and when they do, I can't see it being taken positively and I can't see them coming out with a positive outlook statement. That's some really good insight. So the code is CKF on the ASX for everyone listening. All right, so no more popcorn chicken. So let's um, get into breaking down the financial jargon in the industry. We're just going to kind of fire away quick ones for you. Can you explain what a flow means? A flow is... is probably short for order flow. So it's essentially the buy and sell orders that we have. Yeah, order flow is, is a sort of longer term. Right. And a line? What's a line? A line is uh, either a priority, like a, a lump of stock, which you could put through as a priority or or special size crossing. So um, we may have a large sell order. Um, so the idea is the, the sales trader to find liquidity, find the buyer and cross the stock in what we call a single line. And what, what about end of line? Uh, end of line, same sort of block of stock. So often you'll have instos with sort of large percentages of a stock and, um, you know, the end of the line is where you basically clear someone out who has been pressuring the stock. So, um, you know, that can sort of come about many ways. A lot of instos are interested in buying the end of the line um, or the end of the line is they don't want to really buy it prior because they don't want to get run over by more selling. Um, the stock's more likely to bounce if you buy the end of the selling because, you know, just pure supply and demand thematics, right? 
less selling means um, up lowers the price. That's interesting. And what about end of a loan coming from a small percent fund within the fund? Yeah, so that's one step further. So um, sometimes in that situation um, where you've got the end of the line, um, you may have a large fund who, you know, could be managing a you know, billion dollars and they may be, be, be willing to sell on a liquid stock at a discount or below the market price just to get it off their books because the selling at a discount doesn't necessarily hurt their performance because it represents such a small portion of their portfolio, you know, and sometimes they can only only own a limited number of stocks. Let's say they can only have 50, they're mandated that the, they can only own 50 stocks in their portfolio. If they've got a new idea they want to put the money into and they've got a really small portion of a stock left, then it's basically, can you, can you bid me at a discount? I need to get off the book so I can start buying the other idea, which I think in terms of opportunity cost is going to make me more money. That's um, a really, I guess, good insight because a lot of people wouldn't realise that because you've got these different types of clients that you represent, right? Whether they're endowment funds, um, big funds, like you mentioned, the colonial and such like. But when they have a mandate, would you argue that sometimes they're not flexible? They can't move so quickly? I guess with the market moving as quickly as it is at the moment, is that a good or a bad thing, would you say? It, I mean, it's got its positives and negatives. Like ca- cash levels, for example, a lot of a few funds are sort of mandated they can't have more than 5% cash. In this type of environment where they think, well, I'm bearish, they're paid to manage money, um, not, not to manage in the market, not to manage cash. So then there's other funds who are clearly going to outperform because they've got the ability just to um, either hedge their position through derivatives, um, which others aren't allowed to, and um, or just go to cash, not have um, such a large amount of money in the market. So, yeah, there's positives and negatives, but, you know, th- these guys are – they write mandates which suits their style and, and the way that they think um, or they usually go and, and are employed by people in that manner. And the first financial jargon that we actually spoke about when we had Martin Crabb on the podcast uh, late last year was hawkish and dovish. You know, what is your explanation for that? Um, so I think uh, you've got basically monetary hawk or hawk for short that's someone who uh, advocates keeps keeping inflation low and top priority is um, monetary policy in contrast your, your dove is someone who emphasizes other issues um, especially low unemployment or low inflation over low inflation I should say the other one in between that is when you're neither a hawk or a dove is a pigeon I think it all came from um, essentially some guy in the mid 1800s who he was uh, a war hawk because he wanted to chase after Great Britain. And then uh, on the other side, people who didn't like him, I think they they called them doves. That's where it all came from, yeah. Should we talk about more your clients? Are they long-term investors or more short-term driven? I have, I have both, which I like. So in terms of the short-term guys, I like looking at catalysts and upcoming catalysts and, and, and essentially buying or selling prior to an event that I know is coming up. But then you also speak to longer-term clients or medium-term. Some of the mandates, you know, they, they say they need to look to invest for three to five years or, or, you know, that sort of time frame. But that doesn't mean they don't care about what's driving the stock in the short term. And that is, you know, some of these catalyst events that are coming up. And, yeah, so on, on, on the side of a, a three- to five-year investment, that means, you know, to generate further alpha, they may want to trade around the edges 
depending on what board they're expecting at that coming upcoming event. I'm glad you said the word trading catalyst because that kind of leads into our next question. So we commonly hear that term. Can you explain to us what this means exactly? A catalyst by definition is an event that will likely speed up change. So when thinking about listed equities, this could be anything that is perceived to have an effect on the share price at a certain price, um, certain point in the future. So prime example would be half or full year results, um, but these are known events. The better catalysts are those that are less known, which could be you know results of comparable stocks domestically or overseas, trading updates which come out of season, surprise updates, company roadshows, investor days, economic data or specific industry-specific data. That's the type of things that you think about when you're trying to trade around in a catalyst. And what about with company upgrades and downgrades? I guess, are there any patterns that you look out for? Um, You know, like multiple downgrades, is that a flag, would you say? So the key with company releasing market updates or forecasts is knowing uh, what was expected. So if an update's released... Um, clearly, the first thing you look at is is what was previously put out and how does this compare with what's what's just been released. So if nothing was said, you can use one of the various platforms to look at what consensus forecasts are and, and, and where does the new guidance or results sit and how big is the upgrade or beat or downgrade or miss. So um, probably the harder thing to do or to look for is how expected or unexpected the result or miss was. So Let's say the downgrade was small at 3% and no change to next year's forecasts combined with being you know, a highly shorted stock. So depending on the underlying details, so that's when you call the short-term traders and you, you'd be getting them to buy because it's highly likely that that would cause a short squeeze. It's not a big enough downgrade if it's a really high, a very highly shorted stock. So those who are short are probably going to try and um, buy it back or what we call cover their position as they haven't got the call right. Yeah, so uh, the other thing in, in terms of repeating um, downgrades, so patterns still occur in natural business cycles. So downgrades, you know, the, the saying is that they occur in three, but once you've had one, you're more likely to see, you know, at least two two more, um, maybe. So in my experience, it takes longer than expected to, to combat whatever has caused the downgrade. So I think, you know, a recent example of this is probably BWX. Um, that's downgraded plenty of times and we personally at Shores we thought maybe the downgrade cycle was over and new management came in and and cleaned the skeletons out of the closet and out they came with another downgrade so um, on the back of that you probably people try and pick the end of that sort of downgrade cycle so it's probably another thing to be careful of is, is analyst calls so you know just be aware of analysts who sort of upgrades upgrades to buy even though they're downgrading their forecasts yeah that's a good tip <laughs> so i mean they're trying to pick the bottom just as much as as anyone else so yeah so really our investors and listeners really need to keep track of the companies and their portfolios if they're going to be holding direct equities now a lot of our listeners are retail investors so what red flag should they look out for when it comes to trading a stock on the back of a company report i feel like you've kind of already answered that to be honest haven't you yeah but i mean the red flags come sort of in all various shapes and sizes prior to results um you know and it doesn't have to be on the back of reporting uh you know it could be a cfo leaving that's a pretty good red flag you know they've got the most insight into the financial performance of the company so if they're heading out the door you should ask some serious questions um insider selling that's 
not actual insiders that are over the Chinese wall, like we discussed. That's management and directors or employees of the company. They'll have certain periods that they're allowed to trade. Certainly for directors, um, they will be, if they sell stock um, within the period, they'll always come up with a good excuse. Um, could be buying a boat, uh, buying a house, tax purposes. You see some divorces um, cause some pretty nasty sell downs, life struggles. Um, so yeah, that's pretty bad. On the other hand, if you see management buying or directors buying, I mean that's a green flag. So get on board with that. Probably less likely for retail investors to be able to pick up, but um, uh, management who are usually fairly available for conversations with with analysts who or, or salespeople as they have a relationship, if they are suddenly uncontactable, uh, that usually means they're probably over the wall and they don't really want to talk to anyone. So maybe there's a downgrade coming, not too sure. I mean, though that works the other way as well because recently uh, – I was trying to get and hold the, the contact details for IFM and I was told that for some reason they've been quite hard to get a hold of. But uh, a couple of days later, you see a bid come through for IFM, so, or indicative uh, bid anyway. Uh, and then beyond that, you've got some pretty obvious ones in financials, so debt levels, um, you know, expense versus capitalising. Um, the other one to be careful of is sort of silly high estimates on, on, on dividend yields as well, which... Are not sustainable, right? Yeah, it won't be coming true. We used to talk about this, the death cross, which was uh, when you used to rate stocks and the um, price to earnings multiple and the PE uh, became lower than the, the dividend yield. <laughs> Well, that has been a great chat. I definitely have personally learned a few different new terms and insights into the Insto world. So thank you, Anthony. A really fun way to wrap our conversations with all of our special guests is we ask them a preference, tea, tequila or coffee. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll have all three. I'd go coffee morning, tea mid-afternoon and then uh, certainly a couple of tequilas at night. That's it, aftermarket. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us uh, and we'll hope to get you back on the show uh, next time. All right. Cheers, Felicity. Cheers, Candice. Well, that's a wrap. What a really, really interesting episode, Candice. Like, honestly, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of that because I certainly did. Now, before we sign off, please remember that although Candice and I are financial advisors and Anthony is the head of institutional sales at Shoreham Partners, please note our discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice. As always, you should seek professional financial advice before making any financial or investment decisions and everything we've actually chatted about is based on recording which is the 17th of may 2022 wow this year has flown i know it's already almost into june holy smokes now as always this is where we sign off and uh, ask you if you enjoyed this episode to please share it with someone uh, and also give us a review if you have the time which we would appreciate as we always say five star until next time. Ciao. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the corporation 
Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.